0: If you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. I think my voice is better from last time. Um, That was was a struggle bus. Um, Luke chapter 20, we're wrapping up our sermon series this semester on the parables. This parable is uh, typically always uh, treated as the last to be preached in the parables. All semester we've been looking at our theme that you typically see when you walk into large group where it says sinful people perfect savior and yet again we're going to see that theme here tonight luke chapter 20 will be in verses 9 all the way through 18 and he began to tell the people this parable a man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another one. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them. He said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we know that in your word are many different types of texts. And certainly this one, uh, it is a warning text. But yet also omits the warning. And by the warning itself, it is your grace. We're asking that you would meet us where we are tonight as you've met us all this semester. That you would speak your words to us. That you would deal with us in the depths of our hearts. And that as you deal with us by your word, that we would come to you. That we, we would embrace He who is the Messiah. Holy Spirit, make this happen in our hearts tonight. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I've gotten permission from these people to use them in this illustration. So uh, just here we go. I wanted to figure out a way. How can I make this parable maybe seem actually a little bit more modern? So picture this. Y'all know Aaron Reeves, right? Several of you work for our boy Aaron. Aaron, shout out. Aaron, let's say this. Let's say Aaron builds a house in Stillwater and he rents it out to none other than Dean and Cademan. Yes, the infamous Dean and Cademan. They're going to take care of the house. They're going to order things together. And here's what Aaron has done. He's decided that he will not collect rent For the first two years. Yeah. He's not going to collect rent for the first two years. But then finally, after two years, he says, look, now I'm going to start charging you just a normal average, nothing over the top. I'm just going to start charging you the monthly rent. It's an incredible deal. So he starts charging them the monthly rent. They knew this would be part of it. And so when Aaron is ready to collect the first bit of the monthly rent... He sends one of his employees to collect rent from our good buddies, Dean and Cademan. But here's what they do. Dean and Cademan, they put on brass knuckles and they beat Aaron's employee to smithereens. And they beat him until he is barely alive and send this guy back without any money. Here's what Aaron does. He sends another employee and what do they do before the blood is even dried up on those brass knuckles they beat this next person they send him away empty-handed and then it happens again a third time three times they do this now if this were in this hypothetical example don't worry you don't have to call 911 there this has not happened (laughs) Uh, you would imagine he would call the cops immediately But instead, here's what Aaron decides to do. Aaron decides to send his beloved eldest child, Jet. Thinking that precious Jet, they will respect him. So Jet, imagine he's at least 16, drives down the street. And as Dean and Cademan see Jet driving down the street, They decide to kidnap him as soon as he gets to their house. They throw Jet in the trunk of their car. They take him out to Perkins and they shoot him. Now, here's a question. What do you think Aaron would do to Dean and Caden? Um, It'd be bad, right? Now, here's the thing. You think that hypothetical scenario is maybe extreme? Here's the thing. It's not extreme enough to what this would have been that Jesus is talking about. The crowds would have had that reaction and more. They would have said, this is nuts. These tenants are toast. You see, here's what Jesus is doing in this parable. As he tells this parable, he's giving an earthly picture about a spiritual reality That happens when sinners reject God. That is what we do. And it is that scandalous. The question that you need to have wrestle in your conscience tonight is this. What all have you done to reject God? We actually see first that we have rejected God's messengers. You see this back in verse 10 when the time had come. He sent a servant, he sent, uh, another word is a slave, this is Greek word doulos, that kind of had numerous meanings, and it would have been this master's representative that would be sent with the master's authority to go and collect what was owed to the master. So the master sent this servant to the tenant so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed here's what we have to remember here who owns this vineyard the master does what is jesus saying about you and me and all creation god owns this it is his he brought it into existence he's the owner he's the master he's the sovereign He upholds all things by his word. It's his. It's not ours. It's interesting in Isaiah chapter five that Isaiah talks about the vineyard as being symbolic of the people of Israel. So literally what Jesus is saying to that audience at that time is saying, look, God is your master. You belong to him. And this is what you've done to your master. Now, here's what we've done. Here's what all people in all times have done. We have rejected God's messengers. The servants here represent God's real in history, his sending of normal uh, men and women to speak to others about uh, the gospel. Even more formally, what it represents is that in the Old Testament, when God would send prophets, To proclaim to God's people what the good news was. But yet, in the Old Testament, even as God sent people like Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and many others, they were rejected. You see, here's the ludicrous nature of rejecting God's messengers. It's like when when Apple the company Apple, when they rejected and fired Steve Jobs at one point. He made the company. Right? It was crazy. And of course, they ended up bringing him back. It's a fascinating story. But when you reject God's messengers, you are rejecting God. It's crazy. Hebrews one three shows us. That Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. To reject Jesus' messengers is wild. Colossians 1:16 through 16-17 says this, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, And for him, and he is before all things, and listen to this, and in him, all things hold together. You literally would cease to exist if God willed it in a very moment as you're sitting in your seat. If he wanted you to be zapped off the face of the earth, he would merely just think. Every breath you have, every thought you have, every heartbeat you have, everything about your entire existence is upheld by God. God owns the vineyard. God sends his messengers. The messengers, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, they were, they were delegated by the master to go forward to represent the master. They were to be personal representatives and they would have, They would have been there to collect a share of the crops that were rightly owed to the master. To persecute these servants was to persecute the master. That's why this is so bad. To persecute and to beat and eventually, well, the son will be killed, but especially for these first three messengers, to beat them is not just individually to those servants, but that's how they feel about the master. You see, when God sent forth his prophets in the Old Testament, the prophets represented God to the people. So rejecting God's prophets is rejecting God. See, here's what God does. When God wants to visit His people, He sends other people. Do you know one of the best ways in which God loves you is when He sends another gospel-believing person to you to show you the riches of the gospel and to apply it to your life. That's how you know God loves you. See, actually, one of the formal ways that we know God has loved his people throughout the years is that he actually sends ordained ministers who faithfully proclaim God's word and rightly apply it to their lives. Here is the thing. It's not the authority of the minister as if I have some authority. The authority that I have is declarative, meaning that it's not my own, but it is God's authority being declared to you. And as long as it is faithful to God's word and only when it is faithful to God's word, that is what you're called to embrace. To reject the faithful preaching of the gospel is not just to say, I didn't like that person because they weren't a good speaker. To reject that message when it is faithful to the text is to reject God. That's what he's saying. It's such great, so much grace that God has given us that he would so frequently be sending people, especially here in America. He would send so many people to preach and proclaim the gospel to us. But yet, what do we do when God sends his messengers? We reject them. <laughs> what happens to the first servant? Well, obviously, in the hypothetical example with Dean and Kayman, uh, they beat him. Actually, this this word picture in this uh, Greek word is a picture of a boxer who never misses his target. Whoo! That'd be tough. Think about someone who every punch they throw, they land it in the deadliest spot all the time. They torch this guy. They absolutely pummel him. You must think, how horrible must this person have looked whenever he went back to the master. Actually, we might have something of a hypothetical illustration of this, because the same word for beat him is used of when the soldiers beat Jesus before he went to the cross. They sent him back empty handed. Here's what's crazy. Why does the master not just, you know, wrap it up and be like, all right, you guys are toast. Do you not see the graciousness of God's grace here that he sent another. God does not give up on you whenever you sin once. You would have never lived past merely conception. You inherited a sinful nature and if he was ready to give up on you then you would done. Think about how gracious it is for God to send another friend to invite you to church again. Think about how gracious God is to let you hear the gospel again. Think about how gracious God is to give you friends who would pray for you again. God is far more gracious than you can ever imagine. He is pursuing sinners, but you must respond to. Him. But how do they respond to the second servant? Well, it says they, they beat him up again, but they also do something even more gruesome. Look at verse eleven. <laughs> they beat him and they treated him shamefully. What is this word shamefully? What does it mean? It means, to obviously, to treat someone with dishonor. It's, yet again, a word used whenever Jesus was beaten and he was also shamed by the soldiers. And there might be a hint as to what type of shaming this would have been from Romans chapter 1. This isn't conclusive, but this is how the word is often used. That this word means to dishonor a body in sexual ways. In other words, this could have the sense of someone being sexually abused. That's how bad this was. Think of the horror that this servant would have felt as he came back. And you know what? Unfortunately, some of you know that horror and the shame and the lingering sense of uncleanness that that has had on you. What does the master do after this? I don't know about you. I would be livid. I would say there is no, like these guys aren't going to breathe another breath for another second. But what does the master do he sends another. This, this would have been wild, wild to the original listener's ear. Be like, this master is crazy. He's not wise. He doesn't know what he's doing. He, doesn't, he just doesn't care about his people. He's just going to send them into this den of lions. But don't you see what Jesus is actually saying to us? Jesus is trying to show us amidst this atrocity how gracious God is. Isn't it scandalous that this master has the same desire to reach the same people for the same purpose? That he is determined to reach them. My friends, I want to remind you of this. No one is too far off to receive God's grace. Nobody. Nobody. He loves to come after the worthless. He loves to come after the grotesque. You need to remember this. God does not love you as you are. He loves you despite the way you are. He loves you despite the heinousness of your sin. And He pursues you and He comes to you. And my friends, if you think that somehow you're disqualified from the grace of God, you need to read this text. Because He will pursue the worst of the worst to bring them into His kingdom. No one is too far off to find forgiveness. No one is too far off to find mercy. But the question is this. Will you respond to this mercy? That's the question. Clearly, these guys in this parable, they do not. And they will have a tragic ending. But my friends, what you've been hearing all semester is this. Is that God is gracious towards anyone who would come to Jesus Christ. No matter what sin you have. But you have to come to Jesus Maybe some of you have been here for all, maybe, what is it, 14 weeks that we've been doing this. You need to believe in Christ tonight. Because you don't know when another messenger will be sent. But God is calling you. No matter what you have done. He's saying, look, come in. Don't clean yourself up. Don't try to neaten yourself up. And don't just sit there and beat yourself up. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen? But you must believe. Self-righteous people hate this kind of a God because it's a God they can't control. Self-righteous people don't like to see a God who is this free with His grace. But this is who the God of the Bible is. And He sends a third servant. What do they do to this servant? Will they... It's actually a different word now. Now it says they wound him. This would be a picture of a fight so vicious where his clothes would have been ripped off. Maybe you've seen some of these. I've seen some of these sometimes in football practice where a fight would be so vicious. Helmets would be ripped off. Shoulder pads ripped off. I mean, it's it's intense, this scenario. They wound this guy. They cast him out. It's interesting when it says that when they cast him out, it's the same word that is used when Jesus would cast out demons. I don't know if this is a play on words, but it almost, seem, it almost seems as if, I'm not saying thus says the Lord, but at least to me, it almost seems as if these tenants are treating the master's servants as if they're demonic. How do we reject God's messengers? How does this parable actually speak to us? I think there's three ways in which we reject God's messengers, head, heart, and hand. How do we reject God's messengers with our head? By not reading God's word. We just don't want to think about it. We don't want to listen to the word preached, or we don't want to listen to when others tell us about the word. We don't want to think about the gospel. We don't want to think about what our conscience is telling us. We actually pridefully reject the gospel because we think the world's way of thinking is better. Here's an example. In today's world, well, what is truth? Christians, you can have your truth, but truth is relative. We also reject God with our hearts or reject God's messengers, which is also rejecting God with our hearts. You might understand the gospel, but you desire yourself more than Jesus. You might go to church and you might even participate but you don't actually believe. You might sing songs, you might read books, you might discuss theology, you might even seem like you're doing the right stuff, but really at the end of the day, you're trying to earn your salvation rather than trusting Christ. You might embrace some of the interesting things about Christianity, but not everything. And at the end of the day, you might even just simply desire your own sin more than salvation. Here's one way in which we do that. I'll keep saying yes to indulging these sexual desires whenever I feel like it. God can't tell me no. Because the biggest heresy today is if anybody, including myself, tells me no. So I will live out every sexual desire that I have. We also reject God's messengers with our hands. Sometimes you like how Christianity feels or you like the idea of a Christian community, but you won't actually walk according to God's ways. You might be one of those closet Christians because it's nice being a Christian on Sundays or Wednesday nights, but not whenever you go out into your vocation. Maybe even you make fun of God's messengers. Maybe even you have found ways to blackmail Christians. Or maybe you have been like, the Apostle Paul, and you have literally killed Christians. We might need to talk about that. (laughs) You see, people reject God's messengers. That's what we see. (laughs) My friends, I think we need to remember this. Do not be surprised when you're rejected. Whoever told you that whenever you go out in life, To your family, your friends, in the class, or work, or whatever it is. Whoever told you that everyone everywhere will like you? I thank you for that laugh. That was actually very true. (laughs) Be prepared to be rejected. That does not mean be a jerk. Love people. But you will be rejected. Some people, you know, the, the tone police. Woo! The tone police is like the most fearsome thing today. Man, if you say something, even if it's true, but man, if it's in the wrong tone, woo, woo, woo! I mean, it is just like yikes. My friends, we need to fear God than we fear the tone police. Let's say fear God. That, yeah, more than fear the tone police. Excuse me. You might have people stop giving you invitations. You might. You might have people stop coming to church. You might have people trying to cancel you. You might have people trying to raise your taxes. You might have people trying to kick you out of places where you are. You might have people literally beat you. You might have people abuse you. You might have people kill you. People will reject God's messengers. But ultimately what they're doing is they're not merely rejecting you. They're rejecting God. That's what they're doing. After hearing a missionary preach one time, Helen Rosevere said to herself, I'll go anywhere. Anywhere God wants me to be, whatever the cost. Recalling this time, she wrote, afterwards she had went up on a mountain and she had it out with God. And she says, this is what she said, okay God, today I mean it. Go ahead and, Make me more like Jesus, whatever the cost. But please, when I feel like I can't stand it anymore, and whenever I cry out to you, stop. Will you please ignore that? And remember that today I said, go ahead. After graduating from Cambridge with her doctorate in medicine, Helen Roosevelt studied for six months at the uh, Worldwide Evangelization Crusade College at Crystal Palace. From there, she went... To Belgium, she studied French, she went to Holland to take a course on tropical medicine. All this was to prepare to be a missionary, a medical missionary in the Congo. <clears throat> in mid March of 1953, at the age of 28, she arrived in the northeast region of the Congo. In the first two years, she founded a training school for nurses. She was training women to serve as nurse evangelists who, in return, would run clinics and do all these different things around the region. Now listen to this. The Congo became independent from Belgium in 1960, and Civil War broke out in 1964. All the medical facilities they had established were destroyed. Helen was among 10 Protestant missionaries who were put under house arrest by the rebel forces for several weeks. After which... They finally were moved and were imprisoned. Here is what she says what happened. They found me. Dragged me to my feet. Struck me over the head and shoulders. Flung me on the ground. Kicked me. Dragged me to my feet only to strike me again. The sickening, searing pain of a broken tooth. A mouth full of sticky blood. My glasses gone Beyond sense, numb with horror, and unknown fear, driven, dragged, pushed to my own house. I was yelled at, insulted, and cursed. And actually, even in the process of this, she was even raped. In light of that event, here's what she says: On that dreadful night, beaten and bruised, terrified and tormented, un. Uh, unutterably alone. I'd felt at last that God had failed me. And you know what? Some of you feel that way, that God's failed you. Here's what she goes on to say. Surely he could have stepped in earlier. Surely things did not need to go this far. I had reached what seemed to be the ultimate depth of despairing nothingness. But then she says this. Through the brutal, heartbreaking experience of rape, God met with me with outstretched arms of love. It was an unbelievable experience. He was so utterly there, so totally understanding. His comfort was so complete. And suddenly I knew, I really knew that His love Was totally sufficient. He did love me and he did understand. You know what's crazy about Helen Roosevelt? Eventually, whenever she got out of that situation, she went, I believe what happened is she went back home. Two years later, she came back. Don't ever think that when you are most rejected, That God cannot and will not redeem that suffering. Amen? Even when people reject you, God will bring vindication. That's what we've done. We've rejected God's messengers, we've also rejected God's Messiah. Here's what we see after the three servants are sent, and the owner, verse 13, the vineyard, he said, What shall I do? I'll send my beloved son. That word for beloved is where you hear the famous word agape. It's my, the son that I agape. I'll send him. Perhaps they will respect him. If something, they'll respect him. You see, in the Old Testament, the son, the son of God was going to also be the Messiah. God's Messiah would save his people. He would redeem his people. So God, like this master, he sent his son. Here's what's so crazy. Do not see the master's patience and kindness. That's what Paul says in Romans 2.4. By the way, Paul, who used to be Saul, he murdered people. That's pretty bad. But God's grace goes to the worst of the worst. Here's what he says in Romans 2.4. Or do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Some of you are doing this in your college years. I will do whatever I want to do, whatever feels good at this moment. And during these years, I'll live and have fun. And then maybe sometime later, then I'll believe and I'll get my life together. My friends, God being patient with you right now is meant to lead you to repentance, not to further sin. What's crazy is that this master sends his own son. Nothing and no one was more loved by this master than the son. And yet he sent him. You see, clearly the vineyard is not worth as much as the son. But it shows how much the master in this parable, how much he loves the vineyard that he would send his beloved son. You need to understand this. God did not look at you and say, they are just so incredibly worthy. And man, they're so beautiful and they've done nothing wrong. And so I'm going to send my son because they're worthy. No, you were not. It was when you and I were rebels. But yet, even when you were rebels... God loves you. And His love makes you worthy. Amen? You cannot earn His love, and that means you cannot lose His love. How much does God love you? Let's just put it this way. How much does God love the vineyard? God loves the vineyard so much that He would send His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. My friends, you are the vineyard. How much does God love you that He would send His beloved, His agape Son for you? You see, no one can ever complain that God did not do enough. God sent the Son, the Son who is of the same eternal essence as the Father. When God the Father sends the Son, He is not sending someone lesser than. Everything that makes God, God, is the Son, just like it is the Father. Because it is one God, three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So when the Father sends the Son... He's sending, as it were, himself. It literally could not get any better. He sends the Son. That's what Jesus says in John 14, verse 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Because he is the image of the invisible God. See, one of the things I want to remind you of as I look at these Christmas decorations is this. Is whenever you go back home and you see... Or, or maybe it's even now, maybe like maybe some of your rooms or whatever, maybe you have some presents under the tree or whatever it is. Why are there so many gifts in Christmas? What, what, what's the whole purpose of that? Why do we try to give so many gifts? It's actually not for the point of being materialistic. It's for the point of showing how gracious God has been to us. Because he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. That's what Christmas should remind you of. But what did we do when God sent his son? What did these tenants do when they, the master sent his son? Well, they rejected him. Isn't it fascinating that way back at the beginning of the semester when we looked at the parable of the prodigal son, do you remember when the younger son was maybe a mile away down the road and the father saw him? Do you remember the first reaction the father had with him compassion what's the reaction here when sinners see the son hatred how different is God from sinners their first reaction is to plot to scheme to figure out how they can kill him and they take him out of the vineyard to kill them now why does this matter Jesus is actually given a prophecy here because what they're going to do with Jesus is that Jesus would not die in Jerusalem. He would die outside the city gates as someone totally rejected. How do we reject God's Messiah? Well, once again, three ways, prophet, priest, and king. That's who Jesus is. He is a prophet, he is a priest, and he is a king. And we reject him in all three of those ways. Here's how you reject Jesus as prophet. You treat the Bible like Thomas Jefferson used to. You may not actually literally cut out pieces of the Bible to do that. But you just simply ignore them. You isolate verses and you only interpret it the way you want to interpret it. Rather than how it's always been faithfully interpreted. You only like portions of the Bible, not what God has to say about everything. Or you reject Jesus in a way of rejecting Bible-believing churches. Because they're just filled with hypocrites. Well, yeah, of course. That's That's why we come. Because we need the gospel because we are hypocrites. But you also reject God's, or you reject Jesus' prophet by just simply, you just don't want to read the word. You also reject Jesus' priest. You don't trust Jesus to be the only atonement for sin. You don't trust that he can satisfy the wrath of God. You don't like it that he is freely gracious. You want to have Jesus, but you also want to be a really good person and add on top of that. You want to do a Jesus plus Blank system. Well, you also reject Jesus by not trusting in his free forgiveness? And not trusting in his sufficient righteousness for you? You don't believe this quote by Horatius Bonner who says this, God, pointing to the cross, says this, That is enough for me. And the sinner who trusts in Christ responds and says, It is enough for me too. But you don't like that quote. That's one way you reject Jesus. But we also reject Jesus as king. We don't like his judgment because we want to be the only ones who judge ourselves because we say, I am my own truth. We reject his church. We reject his ethics, whether sexual ethics, ethics on life, ethics on marriage, ethics on justice. Similarly, we reject Jesus as king just by being self centered. We're often like Antonio Brown, the wide receiver who's now not in the NFL anymore. Listen to how absurd this statement is. Antonio Brown, who I believe his last season was last year, but he stopped halfway through. And when he, in the middle of the game versus the Jets, he ran off the field with his shirt off. Here's what he says in an interview. I want you to hear this narcissism. My biggest regret in my career doesn't involve calling my general manager a cracker. It doesn't involve showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with a frozen foot. It doesn't involve throwing rocks at that UPS driver. And it definitely doesn't involve taking my shirt off and doing a victory lap around the Jet stadium mid-game while throwing up the deuces. Here's what he says. What's, what would be his biggest regret? I want you to hear how egotistical this is. My biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a live football game. You can't make this up. I can watch the game afterwards, but I can't imagine what it was like for you to see something like that. It would have been like the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. What Antonio Brown is saying in that article is actually how we often live our own lives because we say, aren't I awesome? How different is Jesus? Because Jesus sacrificed himself for his people. Here's what's interesting is that even when we rejected the Messiah, when he went to the cross, do you know what also happened? God rejected him. On the cross, He who knew no sin, He became sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God dumped out His wrath for you and me for rejecting God's messengers and rejecting God's Messiah. He dumped out His own wrath, not upon His people, but upon Christ. Why did He do that? To save us from our self-obsession. There's a Latin term that's very helpful it's called extra nos. It literally means outside of ourselves. Do you know what Christianity is? It's learning more and more to stop being so self-obsessed and to look outside of yourself to Jesus Christ. That's what we've done. We've rejected God's Messiah. What does this mean? Let me summarize What Jesus is saying at the very end, he's saying this. He breaks the fourth wall, as it were, and he says, Hey, what's going to happen to these tenants? What's going to happen to Dean and Cademan? Judgment. I mean, yes, tactic true. Um, You're going to face it. Uh, Me too. Um, The end time judgment. This is what your whole life is heading towards. Every thought revealed. Every word remembered. Every emotion judged. The entirety of everything in your life revealed before God. And you will be judged for everything with nothing of His commandments ever watered down. Here's the question. Who's going to be judged? You or Jesus? That's the point of this parable. You or Jesus? That's what you're faced with. In the days of the pioneers, when farmers would see a fire in the field, what would they do? Since not even the fastest horses could outrun it, what they would do is they would take a match and they would burn a small piece of uh, small little area of grass. In a designated area and they would put out that fire so that way it would only be charred ground. And to avoid the larger fire, what would they do? They would go and stand in the charred grass. That's what you are called to do. Because either the fires of judgment fall down on Jesus or on you. He is the stone... That the Old Testament people they rejected, but when you reject that stone, it will crush you. That's what Daniel chapter two is all about. But here is something that I want to leave you with. That Grace told me one time when she was holding Valerie, that viper in diapers, right? She's a sinner, um, yeah, you know it. Um, she said this, this is awesome. Isn't it just one of the best feelings in the world whenever another human being just rests in your arms? It is pretty amazing. Do you know what do you know what God wants for you tonight? Is that you would stop fighting against him. And that you would embrace Jesus Christ, that you would lay down trying to earn your salvation and you would rest in his arms. That's what he loves. Let's pray. Father, we do ask not only that you would bless the preaching of your word tonight, but you would bless the preaching of your word all semester and even next week as Jake preaches. Help your word to take root in our lives and to transform us from the inside out. We do ask that you would bring us home. He who is the one rejected for us so that we might live. We ask all this in his name. Amen.